The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead dive. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead dive. Hello, welcome to Everybody Is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf Review podcast, where we're making our way through every episode of the series from the beginning to the end, or from the end to the beginning, maybe. Uh, and that we is myself, Phil Hawkins, long-term viewer of the program since the 90s, and Adam Martin, relative newbie. Relative newbie, yes. Been I'm going to get this on a badge for you, relative newbie. Relative that's, newbie. That's, that's why I always introduce you as now. Yes, uh, a Red Dwarf viewer of just over a year now, in fact. So, yeah. Indeed. And this is another one of our special episodes where we it are is. taking a div- d- deviation. Deviation, is that the right word? Hmm. We're diverting. We're diverting from the path of the TV yeah. series for a brief moment. A sidestep. A si- yes. A sidestep into another dimension. We're holly hopping into another dimension <laughs> to look at some of the auxiliary things around Red Dwarf. One of which is the novel Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers. This is mm. uh, a book released in 1989, November 1989, which is the same month that Series 3 started on television. Yes, and yeah. it basically sort of retells the story up until that point with some expanded... Uh, backstory for our characters. Mm. Some things happen a little differently as well. Um, yeah, here and there. Yeah, I mean, I I don't. We're not going to do our, our usual thing because usually when we go through the episodes, we go through it kind of scene by scene almost and mm. talk about everything that happens in it. I think that would take too long for a novel. <laughs> for a three hundred page book, yeah, we might be we might be here quite some time. We might be here, but let's start just at that opening section anyway because. That's where a big chunk of the expanded backstory is, because we get to see or get to read about how Lister got onto Red Dwarf in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And um, we get to, I guess, get a taste of what his life was like, you say, what his life was like, like what human society was like or where. Because I think it says in the the opening bit of the book, it states how because it's the late 22nd century, I think. Mm. Um, and man's resources have, or Earth's resources, I should say, have been depleted. So, of course, humanity's expanded across across the galaxy. And I think we start—is it in, in Mimus, which is one of Saturn's moons? Yes. Yeah. I so we clearly. I got the yeah. feeling from this that it, that humanity hadn't expanded at this point much past the. Although it didn't directly say this, it kind of—I just kind of got yeah. the feeling because they were all talking about the the moons of various planets which are in our solar system that humanity hasn't expanded past our solar system yeah like it's not like one of those like sci-fi things where it's like oh we've moved on to like a new galaxy or a new it's all still very much like what in what we know like say in our solar system but we've just we've gone a little further than the moon yeah (laughs) in real life they're on the moon of um, mimus Mimus. That's Mimus, 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 Mimus. That's, yeah, Mimus, Mimus. Like I don't know how you Mimus, pronounce these Mimus. things. That's yes. the thing when you're reading a book, you can't necessarily what, get the pronunciations. What I love though is in in like this opening bit where we follow Lister and he's going about his day like that commercialism in society is still very much a thing. Um, I think there's a section I remember where, you know, he's like, he's, he's either driving past 
you know, he's driving wherever and it, it, the book lists out various ads he's seeing or like products or things like that. Yes. And it made me think in a way because obviously there's arguments now, you know, in the early 21st century that commercialism won't be like the death of us. But it is, isn't there an argument so like commercialism is like numbing us in a way or make, you know, like the presence of like advertisements, social media. Do you know what I mean? It just made, it made me think of that almost how like, yeah. I wonder if, if when we did expand in our solar system whether those traits of commercialism and I guess capitalism as a whole, if you like, still, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I don't know if you've seen it, but literally today I saw a news article from, I think it was on the independent newspaper about Mm. apparently a group of economists put forward the suggestion that um, in order to help solve poverty, what they should do is privatize the moon. (laughs) Yeah, that's in the news today. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the dystopian word. They want to privatize the moon. So, you know, this book, probably not that far off with some of its, um, yeah, some of its, its things about capitalism and eerily consumerism present. in this book. It does deal with it quite a bit. There's a bit later on. Maybe we'll save it to talk about a bit later on when we start yeah. talking about Crichton and his origins. Um, mm, but there's a, mm. there's a definitely, and it specifically name checks some, um, some big brands that Certainly are around does. at the moment as well. So yeah. I think that's one area that and and you know red dwarf the show despite the fact that it's comedy especially in those first two years which you know was around the era when this was being written Mm. did seem to deal with more weighty issues um almost more than they did later on yeah i I don't know maybe and in this book as well because obviously it's probably something we'll repeat a lot but in a book obviously you don't have to worry about like budget as you do with tv in terms of like the I, in terms of like the scale of stories, you know, like it, this opening bit, uh, like we're talking about, you know, Lister being on on this moon and uh, we'll talk more about it in a minute. But, you know, like what he gets up to, like, I'm trying to think how could they have achieved that on a 1988 BBC TV budget? Do you know what I mean? It probably wouldn't have worked for it. I'd argue it probably wouldn't have worked very well or convincingly might be the better word. No, possibly not. Well, what kind of images were you getting in your head when you were reading the descriptions of this place? Because to me, it was very much like I was imagining, especially with the stuff with the taxi and stuff that because he's stolen a taxi and is basically working as a taxi driver on this planet to make some money. Mm. And I don't know, the kind of visuals I got from the descriptions were very sort of Blade Runner-esque. Yeah, I, I, a lot of neon in my head. Maybe it's that commercialism thing again, because obviously, you know, bright ads and stuff. But yeah, I imagine like a very brightly coloured world. Um, I can't remember if it says it in the book, but I imagine the taxis and everything and that like f- flying, basically, like they weren't ground vehicles. It might have said that in the book, I can't remember. But it's, I guess, very much in my head, it's that sort of cliche view of the future, you know, where it's all hover cars and lots of bright things. and Yeah, but very grimy as well, I thought. When it gets to like when we're not in like the taxi and when we're not like, you know, dealing with the, I guess, the higher aspects of this society. Yeah. Like later on when he goes to like the brothel and stuff like that, then it's like the opposite. In my mind, I'm going from like, you know, the bright colors and stuff to like, like you say, like that grimy, dingy, you know, that that sort of thing. So, yeah, got really different sort of scales in this opening bit for me, at least. Yeah. Lister's backstory, I thought, was quite interesting because he's just like, he is still from Liverpool yeah, and he's ended yeah. up on this moon because he was on a a drunk night out, I think he said, in London. And he yes, was trying yeah. to, him and his friends were trying to go to every road on the Monopoly board. <laughs> <laughs> and Which sounds like a great idea. 
somewhere around like uh, one of the one of the things before they reach the end, he gets so drunk he just blacks out and wakes up, you know, halfway across the solar system. Yeah, as as you do, as you do, you know. Yeah, and, uh, but a very Davelister thing to do as well. Absolutely, like that, yeah. That's an episode of the show right there. You can, yeah. Argue. So his whole plan of joining up um, with the sort of space core and Jupiter mining core and stuff, to and and getting on Red Dwarf is because he thinks ah oh, that'll get me home. That's so his ticket. Yeah, that's his ticket yeah. home, and he'll just get on board, and then he'll be home, and that will the the mining ship will take its ore back to Earth and hey, he'll be, and then he'll, you know, go AWOL and yeah, that'll be it. Pretty much, if only it was that easy. Um, describing though, before he, he gets on Red Dwarf, like the fact he sleeps in a bush station locker, that was very visual for me. Like it, the book, it, to be fair, was very descriptive in like how he has to proper, like contort his body to fit in this incredibly small space and how he's either getting mugged for his money or he's spent, there's a great passage I think where, you know, he's just earned whatever the money is for the day, the dollar pounds, and he's really happy. And then he has one drink and then he has another and another. So it's like, no matter what he tries to do, he always ends up losing that money, which as you say, uh, leads him to getting on Red Dwarf. But he picks up uh, a passenger in his in his taxi, <laughs> uh, Chris, Christopher Todd Hunter who I believe the book describes as wearing an obviously fake moustache. <laughs> yes, and anybody who's seen the TV series at this point might be thinking, oh, Todd Hunter, yeah, yeah, I remember that character. He's one of the officers on, on the ship. Mm. <laughs> but yes. as we quickly find out, it's it's Rimmer, in, it's Rimmer. with a fake <laughs> moustache on. <laughs> and they write it brilliantly, though, because I think you don't, for you, we don't, well, the book doesn't explicitly state that it is Rimmer for quite quite a while like after he gets in the taxi but like i think the way he's written you know like when they write out his dialogue and stuff like you say it's very obviously you can hear chris barry saying it in your head and i think that's great yeah absolutely and actually uh, in preparation because i read this book quite a while ago now yeah um because uh we we got the books at the same time and then we, we had a bit of a misunderstanding, didn't we? Uh, a bit we of did. Because we bought the Omnibus edition, which has this and Better Than Life, the next book in. So yes. Adam thought we were doing both of them at once. So yeah. I kept on going, oh, have you finished the book yet? Have you finished the book yet? And he's like, no, I haven't finished it yet. And then he finished <laughs> it eventually. And I found out he'd actually read both of them. So we could have done it <laughs> ages ago. but oh, <laughs> And that's why man. I finished so much uh, before you did. But but I did. And so because it was so what a while ago that I had read it all mm. in written form, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll try and find out the audio book. And I did find there is um, a version on, I think it's Spotify and also Amazon Music, okay. which is a version of it read by Chris Barry. It's an abridged version and it's heavily abridged. Mm. I think it was like two half an hour episodes or something like that. And it, so it's really heavily abridged. But it kind of yeah. reminded me of the basic plot beats. So that was quite handy. But I've since found out that that was a, a one that was broadcast on in 2009 on Radio 7, BBC Radio 7. But there is a complete unabridged audiobook also read by Chris Barry that was made in okay. 1992. So, and that is eight hours and 15 minutes. So both are around. I, I think you might be able to get the other one from Audible, the non-abridged okay. version. So yeah. um, if you if you want to hear Chris Barry and he does do brilliant impressions of all the cast, you can go and listen to either of those 
um if you want if you do just don't have the time to do the reading yes yeah who reads books anymore eh? how old <laughs> I, how old fashioned i wish i had more time to read more books me but... too yeah i got some for christmas and i haven't started yet and it's the middle of february but alas at least you've already read better than life for when we come at to least i've that. already i've still yeah. got to read that <laughs> i'll have to skim read it again mind you yeah so but yeah i that was you're in for a treat folks i think that's a good one but um on this one, so I should say, he picks up what is obviously Rimmer, and as Christopher Todd Hunter, he wants to go to a, a plasty droid brothel, which, again, paints a very seedy, uh, I don't know about for you, but like a very seedy tone in my in my mind's eye of the, the sort of place that they go into. And the sort of plasty droid, like, you know, the idea that it's sort of robots acting in that role, you could argue, again, that sort of taking off now maybe not in terms of like brothels but you know there are how do i skirt around this there are some uh robots out there that are you know being designed for said purpose so yeah it was quite eerie yeah. to read because obviously back then you know that was like a distant concept but reading it now it's like oh this is somewhat <laughs> occurring what i like about the when they're both in the taxi together as well um mm. is that they're kind of their future relationship to each other and how they they their kind of adversarial relationship to each other is already established in that scene, and how how they're how he's basically Lister is constantly mocking him like from the second he meets him. Yes, yeah, definitely establishes that straight away. Yeah, if you know the show, like then you'll <laughs> it just yeah it clicks it clicks really well. He signs so he, um so after this whole bro because list uh, Rimmer even is adamant that he's just going to a restaurant. He's not going to a brothel. He just happens <laughs> no, to be yeah. in the area where all the brothels are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he does uh, he does end up end up in one. And is it later when does Lister go in after him? I'm trying to remember now. And. I yeah, I think he goes in after him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then as soon as uh, Rimmer sees Lister come in, he's he's then pretending that he's real suddenly realised he's not in a restaurant. <laughs> yes, which again, like you could picture Chris Barry like doing that as a bit, like you can hear his voice doing, and yeah, it's great, it's great, it's it is good. So we got mm. we've got expanded backstory for Lister and Rimmer here as well, not as much for. Rimmer, but a kind of just a, a bit before we saw in the TV series, I kind of got an impression of like what he's what he's been up to yeah. just before you know before before his friendship with Lister. So yeah, friendship, punk mate, you know what an adversarial type relationship with Lister. Yeah, and it's nice to see that sort of pre Red Dwarf meeting as well because in the TV show, I think in that first episode, it's already established, isn't it, that they they know each other, that they work together. Yeah, so it's nice to see that. That all beginning. When um when Lister goes to sign up for the Space Corps and he finds out that he has to commit to a, a five year long stint, basically. Mm. So that's when he decides he's actually just gonna get back to go Earth and go AWOL. Um instead of doing thing. One of the lines in it is five long years he'd be pushing thirty, an old man. <laughs> oh Phil. <sighs> now oh, as someone Phil. who is just a, in his late Mid to late thirties now, I was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> an old man? Yeah, oh, an old rude. man? Oh, the folly of you! Nah, age. You know what? Age is just a number, folks. <laughs> uh, age is whatever you want it to be. You could be as young. You could feel as young as you do at twenty-four as you do at sixty-four. So 
Yeah. That's my take on that. Absolutely. We also, this is maybe the first time that we get the, because this book would have come out towards the beginning of series three. And I don't think Mm. it was until series four in the TV series that they changed Lister's backstory with Kachansky to being that he had actually had a short relationship with her. And because before that, he'd just admired her and, you know, yeah, especially. Yeah, in that first episode, wasn't the whole thing what he want? He actively wanted a relationship with her, implying that there hadn't been one before. If I've remembered that right, yeah, exactly. And mm. so this, I think this, the book must have done this first before the TV series had even mm. changed the backstory to that, where they've had the fact that Lister actually has a very short relationship with Chansky. And then it ends and he's very depressed and yeah, about a five it. week love affair. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so th- this this brings up the subject of the differences between the book and the TV series. I mean, it's, it's a difference which is later kind of retconned into the TV series itself. But there mm. are other differences where which aren't like the captain in this is a woman, not Captain yes. Hollister. Different captain guy. I can't Hollister. remember the captain in this name names now, but it's not even the same surname. Mm. Um. So and and there are various events that happen that kind of mirror events of the TV series, but that happen in different orders at different places. So we basically, after this introduction scene and him and the the extra backstory, we get effectively the events of the first episode. Yes, which of course was the end, and and what de- what develops there. And I've just I've just skimmed through to remember as well that the captain's surname uh, is Kirk. Oh, okay. Which of course, <laughs> for certain uh, Trekkies out there, that might ring uh, might ring certain bells. But um, yeah, very sly joke. Very good. Very good, Doug. Very good, Grant Naylor. Yeah. Good. And apart from, I'd say, apart from the captain being different, and I think. Also, the the captain just kind of comes across as more competent than the captain yeah. in the TV yeah. series as well. Yeah. See, some of the lines are slightly different, although a lot of the scenes are the same. Like there's the the um, the scene where he uh, she, uh, Lister is confronted by the captain about the cat, about mm. uh, about what you know the the photo in the lab and everything, and yes, that yeah. is almost word for word exactly the same. As yeah, there's moments the throughout the, the whole book, really. Like, you know, the ones that reference different episodes where I noticed that, like, the dialogue is almost verbatim. Like, they've just taken the TV script. But I find, it, I mean, I guess it's a it's a common and quick way, I guess, to, like, help fill out a book. Like, I mean, for any Doctor Who fans, if anyone's read the old Target novelizations, not, not all of them, but a lot of them, especially ones the early ones from the 70s you know if you know if you know those episodes well the tv ones you read the books and in your head you're going wow yeah this this isn't just like a retelling this is like verbatim from the script so it kind of reminded me of that with with only certain sections though i like how most of it is almost like a completely original excuse me original retelling of these episodes like still the same events but being described in a different way because i i think with books why not go for that do you know what i mean like yeah if i want why go verbatim with a tv script where you're limited by you know budget or whatever when you can still tell the same thing but make it even more expansive and for the most part i think this book does that but then there are those sections like you say where they just 
for whatever reason, decide to go, yeah, we're just going to go with what was on the telly. Well, I think if you've got a good scene and it and the dialogue, you know, if you've nailed the dialogue already in the episode and that mm. just, and it still fits even with the expand, like that dialogue true, where true. the captain is confronting Lister and it's all the, uh, you know, where's the cat? Do you want to spend the next six months in the in suspended animation? Yeah. In stasis, that's it. Do you want to spend the next six months in stasis? No. Do you want to give me the cat? No. No. <laughs> well, pick. Well, you know, pick, the dialogue yeah. there is kind of perfect. So why change it, I guess? I suppose so. No, that's a, that's a good point. I guess I mean more, I guess the moment, like that moment's a good example where the verbatim, I guess, doesn't matter as much because that's more focused on like, what the actual dialogue is. I guess I mean more like dialogue that hinges around, say, if it was concerned around like a visual as it would in the TV show. Like, yeah. You know, why why go with the TV version, which is limited by budget, etc., when you could make it more expansive, I guess. Like, yeah, that's just my thought. That's just, I know it's all a personal preference thing, I guess. So, some people, do you know what? Grant and Naylor could probably have transcribed all of series one and two in a book and people probably still would have loved that as well as a story. Yeah. One thing about the cat um, that we learn a bit later on as well, um, Frankenstein the cat, mm. we don't really get much backstory other than that he picked in the TV series, other than he picked it up and smuggled it on the ship. And it seems to be because, you know, he just really liked the cat and stuff. Yeah. But here it's expanded on and there's a whole plan. And like the, the photo being sent to the lab was deliberate. He wanted to be caught. Because yes. after finding out that he um, is not only signed up for five years, he then finds out the ship actually isn't going back to Earth. It's heading even further away from Earth to do some more mining before it goes back. So he is absolutely going to be away for five years. So he's yeah. scoured the regulations and found like the minimum sort of crime he can do in order to get punished by send being sent to stasis. And that is basically to um, contravene quarantine rules. So, yeah. and what I really liked about it was that he doesn't just like go pick up a straggly cat. He spe specifically points out that he went to, paid a lot of money to find one with an amazing pedigree, had it completely yeah. inoculated, made sure that it absolutely wasn't a danger to the crew. Yeah. And then brought it aboard just so that he could, uh, could get caught. And also, he went in trying to find a way to get caught. He did it specifically in a way that the cat wouldn't get caught because then they would yeah. be dissected. So, wanted to save the cat, wanted to keep the crew safe. It, you know, yeah. it's a good moment. It's for a very his intricate plot for Lister as well, especially yeah. like if we're comparing to the TV show, like the early days. Like that, it almost seems like a plot Lister would would come up with, but maybe not execute in the best way. But here in the book, like you say it. I, I kind of like how, well, uh, th this far in, like, obviously Lister in the TV show is is a funny character and he's presented as, you know, a bit of a bumbler and a bit of a slob and things like that. And I think you still get that here. But what I like in this first chunk of the book is that it really hammers in that at the end of the day, he's just a bloke who is far away from home when he wasn't meant to be. And his number one objective is just getting back home. And how, like I say, the lengths he'll go to do. Do you know what I mean? I like how it's it's established more in this book than I think it ever is in like the first two seasons of the TV show. Yeah, definitely. And that he is actually quite 
a smart guy. He's yeah, just, he's not thick. He's not thick at all, and he's just he just does he's just a, he's a, he's lazy. But yeah, uh, yeah. but he uh, but when he needs to, he can be quite intelligent and work out yeah. quite intricate plans. Yeah, absolutely. But again, maybe that's a book thing because, like, as we've said with episodes, you know, TV scripts they've only got twenty-five minute episodes, so maybe it's a they thought, yeah, we can expand on what what his wants are, what his goals are. And yeah, and rather than and with know. a book, you can delve into the, what the character's thinking as well. Whereas you can't, you you only get what he's portraying to the outside world in the yeah. TV series. Whereas with the book, you can delve into what's actually going on in his head, which might be a bit more intricate. Yeah, absolutely. That's very good. I love the bit, um, sort of counting down to when the accident happened as well. Yeah, it builds more because if I remember again, we watched it over a year ago, but. If I remember in the TV show, after he gets put in stasis, the accident d- like just sort of happens. I it think. happens off screen, doesn't it? He gets frozen and then it yeah. just kind of unfri- and then unfrozen. And that's the transition. There's no. And again, it would have been a budget thing. I suspect I suspect if they could yeah, have done, they would have yeah. done the big explosions and things. But here we get it kind of explained and uh, described. And I, I particularly love the fact that they added this bit about rimmer deciding that because he's studying for an exam and has failed his exam again and he's just like so fed up that he decides that he's going to put himself in a stasis pod and yes. he almost makes it into a stasis almost pod. so close but not quite <laughs> because he, and he only doesn't make it because he stops to comb his hair which again a very a very rimmer thing <laughs> like that is something he would stop for i mean it's so close that his hand is literally on the handle to the stasis pad stasis unit when the nuclear explosion engulfs him <laughs> yes yes yeah and the last thing that he thinks about is uh gazpacho of course yes and, I, and we don't get yeah. any explanation of it in the book but if you've seen the tv series you know what that yeah. means yeah yes i will it may or may not uh get an explanation in better than life uh-huh. if, mem- if, if memory serves but i can't because obviously in the TV show, like we say, it does get explained. And in my head, I'm like, I'm certain I've read that on on good old black ink on white paper. But I'll find out next time. But yeah, that's a good little, a neat little reference there. And then we get, again, scenes playing out a little bit very similar to how they did in the TV show. Lister gets revived and it's all the, he's dead, Dave. Uh, yes. You know, where are you? Could, you couldn't not games? have that. I know it was on about verbatim stuff, but um, you, you can't not have the everybody's dead day. Yeah, gag. definitely has not. to be there. I, um, after that, when, once he's found out, and especially once we find out that List has been brought back as a hologram as well, we get more of a sense of Lister kind of just completely losing it. He falls apart completely mm. and, and gets like raving drunk every night. He's asking why Holly revived Rimmer, which he does in the thing as well. But he's just like, it's, he's, he's absolutely completely losing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, no, that's why he revives Rimmer, isn't it? Because it's only, Holly only revives Rimmer after a week of Lister, like, just basically being constantly drunk, walking around yeah. stupid, like, and things like that. So that's why he ends up reviving Rimmer. Whereas I think in the TV series, it happened kind of like Lister was revived. And then Rimmer was turned on almost immediately. Yeah, I can't remember it because in the book, I think Holly makes the quip of like, oh, yeah, Rimmer's the one who's going to keep you sane. I can't remember if that was the same gag 
in the show that Holly used. He did say that. Or the same explanation. Well, yeah, he, like. it was the same explanation, but there was, an, I think, an added bit in the book where it the book tells us, the narration of the book tells us, or at least that's what he told <laughs> Lister or something along those lines, basically yeah. implying that, yeah, he just, he just, that, he, that wasn't really where he hadn't really done the calculations to work out if he would well, be the best person. He'd just done it. <laughs> well, Holly is a little computer senile. As yes. He, as he is in the show. So that's another thing carried over. Yeah. In the earlier parts of the book as well, um, there are these little scenes with characters that we don't really know scattered in there, which set up a few different things, um, which I thought were quite nice. So you get the bits, you get some stuff setting up better than life. Uh, and it's mm. it's backstory and what it is. Uh, people like when he's on Mimas, it gets a reference, and like the game heads, people getting addicted to it and things like that. Yeah. And then you get this. You get also get some scenes about holograms before the accident as well. So you get mm. some sections of the book which set up that holograms are a bit discriminated against. Uh, yes. Not yeah. a class like, system. Like yeah, they're, they're basically a lower lower cast of of people and uh so that's a sort of an added element which i thought is quite interesting they don't massively go into it with rimmer uh no kind of skirt around it it kind of he mentions it a bit but i, I, guess I, I wonder like, if they're going to do anything with that in the few in like in better than life for instance yeah i guess it's like maybe they just thought it's a good opportunity to do a little like world building that they yeah. never really got the chance to in the show because i think in, in this book like you say rumor mentions it a tiny bit but it's never really used as like a, a, a like a, a main talking point again in the book it's like you have the ex but i don't know i kind of don't mind it like it doesn't feel wasted i like learning about i think especially because obviously we've seen the show first i think it's nice that we've got these extra bits about this world because i guess we wouldn't have known that because i don't think they even mention anything like about where holograms fit into like society in the tv show if memory serves i don't remember them talking no no not so, really. just on the sh on like on a ship level but not yeah yeah here's a question though just before we carry on just because i'm thinking I, we've kept saying obviously we've both seen the show before we've read this do you think this book would be good to show like give to someone who's never seen the show or do, or do you think seeing the show even just series one and two is a must before you read this. I think it can work as an independent thing. Uh, I don't, because it's, it's, it does shift away from the narrative of the TV series in a way. Anybody that picks it up thinking, oh, this is going to be an introduction to the TV series might, when they get to the TV series, go, oh, something's <laughs> Where, very different. Yeah. Where's all the stuff on... Mimus or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, and you know yeah. why? Why? Wait, well, if they're watching series one, they'll be like, "That's Crichton." Um, oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I think maybe. I mean, certainly, I think it works as an individual book, and I like. I really like the writing style of it. It's kind of got a not quite Douglas Adams feel, but kind of almost that kind of whimsical type writing. Yeah. That's a little, a little yeah. bit like that, but not quite as. Quite as out there as, as Douglas Adams' stuff, yeah. which I love. Ad Adams-esque. Yeah. Sort oh, of hints, hints of Douglas Adams' Hints style, of Douglas Adams. Uh, writing, where just bizarre things happen and, and the way um, that people's own thought processes are written and things like that. So I really like the style of writing. And I, I would have actually, 
you know, somebody given me this and I didn't know the TV series existed, I would have enjoyed it as a novel by itself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> one thing that the TV series does seem to like to come back to and the novel does as well is references to Hermann Goering. Because there was one of those in the I've, book as I well. I noticed this. I was like, what is it about Herman bloody Goering that we have to... Oh, I mean, full disclaimer, he, he's always the butt of the joke. We're not saying he's like bigging Herman Goering up. He is always the butt of the joke. But yeah, it's, it's a strange recurring gag almost, isn't it? That yeah. it's either Herman Goering or or just the Nazis in general. Yeah, they, 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 clearly, uh, they clearly are... Uh, interested in that area of history anyway. Yes. But here yes. it's used in a kind of like, oh, anybody would have been br- br- better to bring back as a hologram than Rimmer, even Herman Goering. At least I could have gone dancing with him or something like that. Oh, jeez. Don't know about the dancing career of Mr. Goering, but... <laughs> um, then we get uh, the cat is introduced as well. Yes. And the yeah. cats have a whole city in this. Mm, it's, yeah. It's now empty because they've all abandoned the ship. And it's just yeah. the cat is left. But that is another thing that, you know, like if this had been done on a budget on TV, they would have looked great. Uh, but obviously they didn't have that budget. Mm, yeah. No, it's another good case of like a l- little expansion. It's the same story of how they meet the cat and it's the same process. But you get a little more. Yeah. Like you get, it's n- and we yeah. get a little bit more, a little bit more of um, Cat's backstory as well. A um, little bit yeah. more about the cat's history as a as a species as well about you know how the the sort of Frankenstein and had children who had children who had children and by like the time Frankenstein died there were like hundreds of thousands of cats and then yes. they kept on breeding and then they had a war and we learned a bit about the war in um in in one of the episodes of uh of season one I think but. We, we kind of get a bit more about the whole evolution of the cats and yes. the different stages of evolution. And that, I thought that was all quite interesting. Yes. And yes. even the cat himself, actually, we get because you get um, we get told that the when the cat two tribes of cats that believe different things after their holy war left, they left the sort of poor and invalid and stupid there. And eventually it was just two, uh, an invalid and a, and a can't remember what what they refer to it as, but basically just uh, two, two uh, of people that weren't cats that weren't regarded as very yeah. much. And their child was the cat. Their cat. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one we all know and love. Yeah. Yes. Although he has no concept of parents. He's no. like, oh yeah, I guess that was my parents, but I didn't really think about it. We kept away from each other most of the time. That's still the spirit of the cat of just being very pretty much like blase about everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it was nice to get because we get a bit of a more expanded story from the from the cat as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they sort of expand a little bit as well as the book progresses. We basically we would start referring to the episode Future Echoes, mm. which um, we've noticed that currently we're in series eight of our rewatch, and the, the show seems to really love referencing Future Echoes as of late. Yeah, and that's a interesting. Yeah, it does, and that that's an interesting uh, thing. I can't actually remember much of that because that was quite cut out of the abridged version of the um thing mm. that i read i'm trying to remember back what what happens with the soup with the echoes so um rimmer tells lister that one of these echoes shows him uh shows Lister being blown up when he attempts to um fix the ship's navicomp oh yes and yes. you know he's it, it's very much like the episode he's trying everything to avoid it but then 
you know, he he accepts that it's have to happen when the Navi comp does fail. So he's like, right, I've got to I've got to do this. But then when it succeeds, that's when we get the old Lister, you know, in the episode where yes. he's got the dreadlocks and stuff. Um, and I think they set that up the same way in the book. You know, it's in the bunk, old Lister's on on the bunk. And, do you know what I mean? I think it's written out in the same the same way. Yeah. Um, and how, and, and yeah, th- this one, I guess, isn't expanded on too greatly. It's still the same resolution, how it's old Lister saying it was his grandson that saw the ship blow um you know, that saw the ship blow apart, not Arlister, and that at some point he will have two sons. Yeah, so that one's pretty much there. So we get sort of a condensed version of, of the first episode, an even more condensed version of Future Echoes. Then we kind of, the only other episode we get a version of is Crichton, which is the series yes. one, series two first episode. And it is, yeah. that this again expands on the backstory. Um, but interestingly, in terms of like the onboard like chronology of the ship it's still quite recent from lister waking up whereas in the show it had been a while it some time passes yeah all the events in this seem to be like condensed very much yeah Yeah, it's all like one rolling thing i guess yeah well Crichton gets a, a backstory a sort of revision this is where the um the commentary on commercialism also comes in because the nova 5 which is we find out the nova 5 that Crichton was on and serving on, its main task was to make stars go supernova in a particular pattern to basically make a giant advert for Coca-Cola in this night sky. Which sounds about right for Coca-Cola. Yeah, so so that they could finally beat Pepsi and then consign Pepsi to history and the great Coke versus Pepsi battle, which in the 1980s was kind of at its height. It was a very big deal. Yeah. yeah. Not so much. It's weird, isn't it? It's Today, you don't sort it's not really talked about. They just sort of coexist. But like I say, back in the day, I mean, especially in the US, you can find old TV adverts on YouTube where they're like referencing each other by name. You know, they're like basically saying, oh, we're better than Pepsi or we're better than Coke. You know, but you just don't see that now. Yeah, I think that's probably just the... The profile of fizzy drinks generally has lessened as we become more potentially conscious of their health ramifications. And uh, they they probably like they're still around. People still drink them, but they're not the they're not the height of like everybody is drinking. No, I feel the reference. The reference is very much, I think, still in keeping with what Red Dwarf does in the show. Like, obviously, it's sci-fi, but every now and then it'll include little snippets of the zeitgeist at the time. You know, like little references, whether it's to people who, at the time of transmission, were like really prominent and like like a lot of sci-fi or just a lot of comedies do, don't they? They always try and inject a bit of what's going on at whatever time it is. Yeah. So one of the things that they kind of change here that we didn't get in the original Crichton episode was that. The expanded backstory of this is that Crichton causes the crash of the Nova Five yes. by cleaning uh, the, all the, the like the main computer, the main computer basically, and with soapy water. With soap, so, yeah. so he basically fries the computer, which then crashes the ship and kills all the crew. Genius. Um, and he's all like, "Oh yes, I can't, I can't believe you don't appreciate me cleaning the computer and, and all that sort of stuff." Hey, easily done. Quick, quick side story. When I was really small, right, when I first got, like, my very first PlayStation, obviously it's disc-based. I was I was a very small child, so when, when a disc didn't play and it was dirty, what did I do the first time? I, I filled up the sink, filled it with soap, 
And I dunked that CD <laughs> right in there. Because, you know, on all the adverts, he said, oh, you have to clean your discs. Right. So I was like, right, okay. Cleaning in my six-year-old brain means you have to wash it in the sink. So, yeah, don't worry. I Don't worry, cry. And I, I understand. It's, <laughs> it's, easily, it's easily done. Easily done. Oh, wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's caused a crash. Now, this is something that has also been kind of retroactively incorporated into the show because there is a line, again, I think in Series 7, where Crichton is referencing back to the the crew of the Nova 5 or something. And yes. Lister goes something along the lines of like, Crichton, you killed them all. <laughs> which is a so, great yeah, which hadn't been referenced in the show up until that point. So again, I think it's a, a case of them like taking this fact, this thing that was originated in the book and go, now oh, let's roll that into the TV series. It wasn't even a big plot point. It was just like a little throwaway gag as well. And it, as well, far we, as I know, it's not been mentioned again since, but... Well, well, we know with Red Dwarf continuity, it change, it changes on a dime. It's that almost is true. Like they come up, it's almost like they come up with something and then, like, they'll come up with something else and go, "Yeah, that we we prefer that. Let's just let's let's just do that." Yeah, and it's after this, after they bring Crichton on board, that it kind of stops being like slightly altered versions of the TV series plots and just goes off in its own complete direction, which is completely yeah. different to anything Absolutely. in the TV series because they bring the Nova five on board and they want to use the, uh, it's, it's duality drive. I think they call it yeah, to yeah, get yeah. back to earth, which they think they can do in a matter of months. So, uh, that's what they're going to do. And suddenly the next chapter kind of ends with them, like with this plan and the next chapter they're on earth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In fact, the chapter is called earth. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm thinking, well, they've taken this in a completely different direction. They've actually gotten back to Earth. Amazing. Yeah. Um, this is so I mean, I suppose from a like, this is definitely not the continuity of the TV series. This is a no. brand new. Think of it as an alternate universe uh, mm. TV series where events played out different. But so, well, Lister's in a town like it's kind of like Christmas town, isn't it? Yeah, I think the it always referenced It's a Wonderful Life because that's his that's his yeah. favorite film. And I haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life in a very long time, but do you know what the way they describe the town of Bedford Falls like in my head I was like, yeah, it's it's that very like comfy, very cozy, everyone knows each other, everyone's really friendly. Yeah, you like leave your front door unlocked, that kind of thing. Oh, those were the days when you didn't, you let your kids play on the street and you had your front door unlocked and all this. Don't do that now, by the way. Would would not recommend doing that these days. Yeah, but I was instantly suspicious, even before it gave anything away, because mm. he's married, he has two kids, but his wife is Chrissy Kachanski. Yes. And instantly there, I was like, <laughs> hold on. Has he yeah. just like gone out and married someone with the same name as his ex-girlfriend? Yeah. Or is something else going on here? Then we get to Rimmer, who's rich, um, has invented <laughs> yeah. the solid gram, which is kind of like basically the hard light drive from TV series later on. It makes holograms hard light. You know, they can touch things. And yeah. Things. Um, so this predates the TV show then in terms of like yeah. holograms, basically, because this was what, 1989, you said? Yeah, yeah. So before he'd become solid in the TV series. Yeah. So it's another element that they took from this, I guess, and incorporated yeah. in. 
Um, and he also has a time machine. Oh yes, he's been bringing uh, just forward as you do his favorite you know. dictators from the past. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, and yeah. So L- Lister Cup basically works out they're in better than life. Yeah, the game, the virtual reality game, which in the TV series was a fairly harmless game. Like it had like Rimmer's psyche ended up screwing it up for them um, and yes. making it a bad place to be. But that was just because of his psyche. But in this version of the story, Better Than Life is a addictive thing that can kill you. People get yeah. hooked on it and the game tricks you into not remembering you've even gone into it. So you think you're in the real world. Yeah, it's all it's described very much as like a drug. Yeah, basically yeah. it's 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 a drug and people get so hooked on it, they never leave it and their bodies in the real world waste away. And yeah we find out that they, that's what's happened. They're in better than life. So first of all, Lister kind of cottons on when he's, some words start appearing in his arm and it kind of like, like what well, he says, it's, it's described as being written in pain. And it turns out it's because Crichton, who is not in the game, is burning his arm in the real world into messages yes. that basically tell him he's in better than life. So he goes and gets Lister, um, Rimmer, sorry, and tries to convince him. Rimmer's like life because better than life tricks you into liking it because staying there because it makes the perfect life for you. But sort of similar to the TV show, Rimmer's mind is sabotaging his own perfect world. Yes. Because he's got a wife that cheats on him and won't have sex with him. And (laughs) even though she's, you know, he's given himself the perfect in his mind wife because she's a supermodel and stuff. But uh sort of sabotaged himself so yeah it kind of works out that it then they go and find cat he's living in like a big castle filled with a moat with a moat Moat full of milk milk. (laughs) and he's he he orders like executions of dogs you know cats and dogs or the dogs are slaves or whatever it is it's yeah Yeah. it's a very yeah i could see that being cats and, and obviously and female cats who dote over him and his every whim and stuff like that you know yeah and and the uh, lister does convince them all that they're in this game and that they need to leave but they all have to kind of create their own exits they all go all yes. back off to where they're you know there's and they're going to create their own exits but when lister gets there because it's always Christmas and he's like, I can't leave my family on Christmas, but it's always going to be Christmas. It's always Christmas and, in Bedford and Falls. And we're kind yeah. of left on this cliffhanger where he's like basically implying that he's kind of been sucked back in and he's yeah. not leaving. Yeah, because he's got it. You could argue he's got it the hardest in a way, because obviously, yes, like Rimmer's rich and he's it's all Rimmer's like got the materialistic paradise. Cat's just sort of... <laughs> doing his own power trip thing. But Lister's is arguably the most relatable to, like, the reader because it's about, you know, it's having a family. Yeah. It's like having... And you could argue, you know, materialism and all that is great for some, but do you know what I mean? That's what I related to the most. It's like, I thought, well, yeah, what if what if my partner or family had died for real? But then in this game, I could have them back or, you know, start... And Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think that is... It very much is that idea of temptation... And like how much, and it's all well and good us as readers being like, oh, well, we'd, we'd escape, you know, we'd never succumb to that. But then um, in my head, I was like, well, you don't know, do you? Not really. Yeah. Well. So yeah, no, I, I like the sort of cliffhanger ending. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you know the show, 
I, I'd argue maybe you'd have an inkling of where it might go. But it, in terms of like just the story, if you're reading this for the first time, you hadn't seen the show. I think it's an I'd, I'd want to read more. Do you know what I mean? I'd yeah. Like, oh, I want to see where this where this goes next. And even though I'm sure in the next book they will end up getting out of it. I mean, you don't give me any spoilers. This is this is a turn up for the books, isn't it? You know what's going to happen and I don't. Yes. Yeah. Don't give me any spoilers. Um, I'll keep quiet. It's usually me that has to avoid giving you spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I'm obviously assuming they're going to get out of it in the next book, but I don't. This is so different from the TV series, this plot, this better than life plot, that I have no idea how they're going to get out. I don't know how it's going to go. You know, they clearly deviated massively away from that original TV version of better than life. It's going to be yeah. interesting to see how long they spend in that. Next yeah, book. before we get the resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all I'll say is, Phil, I, th- I think I think you'll like what you read. Okay. I really do. Excellent. Yeah. I better get started yeah. on that so we can record the next review. Um. Yeah. Before we finish, I was just skimming. I think they also in this book they do, um, they do very quickly adapt a bit of the episode Me Too, where Rimmer creates a <gasps> oh they clone do of don't they? Yes, they do. Ref- yeah, they do have that. In Which there is as well. that was it. It's come back to me now. Where they do reveal the Gaspacho suit because oh, okay. that's like in the tv episode you know how they they um lister resolves it you know chooses where well, where lister has to choose which one to to shut off yeah and then he asks him about gazpacho and he tells him and he says oh but you won't mention it and it oh that's he says right. one of my yeah one of my favorite gags where he's like i won't mention it super or whatever that's it is. right like, and they kind of merge that into having happened at the same time almost as the Crichton stuff because it, yeah, it, it feels very quick. It's like, oh, look, we need to do this now. Yeah, and because then... doesn't he get the multiple? He creates another rumor to help with the Nova Five repairs. Yeah, because he finds the hologram generator on the Nova Five. That's it. Yeah, so, so it's reversed yeah. because actually that happens in the TV series. That two that rumors thing one, happens first in series one, and yeah. then Crichton happens in series two. Whereas it's the other way around in this one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now, yeah. I, gu- I guess maybe they included it in this book just to resolve the gazpacho soup thing because that had been brought up earlier. Yeah. Um. So maybe that's why they felt they had to include it there. But out of all the like episode adaptations, if you like, it's easily the shortest, I think. Yes. Or, or it, fi- it felt like it, reading it anyway. It felt very much like, oh, we've got a new Rimmer and now original Rimmer doesn't like him and we've got to solve it and here's the gazpacho soup thing. And now, you know, moving on. But yeah, but I just, yeah, I've completely forgot that until we were rounding off there. And I thought, no, wait, there is the Me Too bit in there. Yeah. Me Squared. Yeah, I had completely but, forgotten about that. Um, yeah. Because that, that wasn't in the abridged audiobook, interestingly. None of that See, was. See, that's it. Yeah. So, so they must have thought for time or for whatever reason, it wasn't. Yeah. Like I say, I it guess. was really heavily abridged. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm i going to have to try and check out the eight hour long version at some point. But, um, wow. but not now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, not now. Well, uh, later do better time. than later life time. We've got other stuff to get through. Um, yeah, so they yes. get that's that's Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, which you can buy. Good title, by the way. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Very Douglas Adams again. Absolutely, I, yes. I think, anyway. But Yeah. Um, we will do, at some point, Better Than Life, the book. We shall. Um, I can't guarantee when it will be, but we will do it <laughs> as we continue yes. doing these occasional specials, sidetracking from the TV series. Um, yeah. I was, I don't know, I don't really have a funniest moment from this book. This is one of our usual features we do with the TV series. I don't know about you. Do you have anything that really stood out as a funniest moment? Um, 
to me, it would probably be when we first learn about um, Rimmer's fantasy, if you like him better than life, just because obviously it's it's it isn't shown in the TV show or like you know, and just the way it's described, like with the whole how materialistic he's gotten, what he's got, like his wife who cheats on him, the the fact he gets his favorite dictators and bad people from his, it just made me laugh because again, I'm a very some people are. I'm a very like visual reader. Like what I'm reading, if it's written well, I'll have that world in like my mind's eye as I'm reading it. Yeah. Um. And I could see Rimmer's world so clearly, and it was just I just found that very funny. So yeah, probably Rim- Rimmer's fantasy was probably my funniest moment. That's from cool. This book. The whole better than life section was the most interesting bit of the book for me because it was new and mm. I didn't know where it was going. So that was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that was the same for me. The, the best bits of the book for me were the completely original stuff. Yeah. Nothing wrong with adaptations of TV episodes, but I think, obviously, I think when you're reading an adaptation, your mind subconsciously is like, I have seen this before, or like, I have I know yeah. what's going to happen. Whereas with the beginning yeah. and the end, like I say, that completely divulges it and it makes it a lot more interesting. Definitely. Definitely. And what about, um, do you have a favorite character out of it? Oh, it's Lister for me. Yeah, me too. I think just for like, like we said, just the way he's written, like he's written to be a lot more competent, a lot more intelligent, while still maintaining that sort of bumbler, slobbish, you know, nothing's lost from what you see on TV, I think. He doesn't feel like a new character, he just feels like a more fleshed out character. Um, And yeah, just what he what he stands for and like the whole Bedford Falls thing in the Better Than Life section, as I said, I found that very relatable. Um, so yeah, it's got to be it's listed for me. Yeah, definitely agree. It's for there. you as well. Yeah, yeah, for pretty much the same reasons as well. It was good to see, like you say, he he doesn't betray what the character is on TV. It just adds more layers to it, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hope well, I well, well, hey, in the TV show, say we're on series eight, maybe it it will still in the TV show. Who knows? Yeah, maybe We've got quite a way to go. What about Mark out of ten? How many scutters out of ten would you give this book? Ooh. <laughs> This uh, see, like you say, because I've read the whole omnibus, I'm I'm being like differentiate start point yeah. point. I would give this, I'd no, I'd give this a solid eight. That's my gut reaction there. I give that an eight. It's a very solid. It's a solid book, as we said. The great, the great bits in particular, in the beginning and the end, like all the new material, um, still feels like the the world of Red Dwarf fleshes out Lister, <clears throat> and. You know, and fleshed out all the other mains with their like fantasies as well in the Better Than Life section. And the adaptations of the TV episodes are solid enough. Like, you know, obviously they're familiar, but they're still, they're not boring to read. Do you know what I mean? I didn't get to it and think, oh, this is the, the Me Too bit. I'm just going to skip that. You know, it was still fun to read. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, for, for the first Red Dwarf book that was published, I, I think it's a solid start, you know. Definitely. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I gave it an eight as well. I think it's a really funny book, just uh, an interesting book, quirky book. And I like where I just like I like not knowing where it's going to go. Yeah. It's kind Adams-esque, of as we say. Yeah, Adams-esque indeed. Interesting. Something I've just read is that because we read this in the Omnibus edition, which has both we this did. and Better Than Life in one volume. And apparently, according to this, that was a corrected and or expanded edition. So oh. there might be differences to the if you've got the just single volume version. Maybe there are differences in there. I don't know. If you know what the differences are, do let us know in the comments. 
I'd love to know what was added for this or what was corrected. Yes. Interesting that this they is the problem corrected. when there's this is the problem when there's like multiple editions for books, isn't it? It's just like you, <laughs> yes. you don't know. You don't. It's hard enough with the TV show, well, yeah, you know, with ex- extended find, editions and yeah. Because haven't we found with one episode that like I can't remember if it was you and me or maybe one of our guests. What somebody watched the extended edition of an episode and then somebody watched the regular version. So yeah. <laughs> Was that back? It wasn't all of back in the red. Could be that, like on my Blu-ray. I think they were all extended yes. episodes because there was. That I was it. Which yes. scene it was? Yeah, and you were talking about scenes scene. that I hadn't seen, and I was like, and "Hold you on, were what? just like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So it's hard enough with DVD. You think with books, with you have to. We're gonna have to do like count the pages of each version. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Dear. But no, solid book. Good first start. Yeah. Well, we will get around to Better Than Life and the other novels in the red yes. dwarf universe as well there are more um so we'll get around to them eventually um but in the meantime do subscribe follow mm-hmm. us on twitter which is at all dead dave pod and all that sort of stuff for more episodes yeah, yeah. of us just going through the regular series as well as of the occasional mm-hmm. special um you can where adam where can they find you on twitter and the internets and stuff in all the interwebs uh well on twitter it's uh, adam martin amtv you can follow me there and on youtube it's just adam martin with a y um and i i've shifted recently i'm making more like documentary style videos at the minute so the uploads aren't as frequent but i'm hoping that the the uploads that do come are you know a bit more weighty and and hopefully still interesting so if you like that sort of stuff then come check me out there but what about you phil excellent you can find me on twitter at culture filter but filter is spelled p-h-i-l-t-e-r it's very clever very good (laughs) wordplay and uh you can find my youtube channel is just philip hawkins which uh, i do all sorts of things about doctor who and star trek and the mc basically any pop geeky pop culture that i like on there um, and of course, you can also buy merchandise with our cartoon faces, our cartoon holographic faces on, because we have ages yes. on our Yes, um, we do. <laughs> and our show logo on as well. So I'll put the link to that in the description in the YouTube version of this. So yeah, come and uh, come and get come a mug on down. with our, you can, with our come cartoon and get faces a mug. in it. <laughs> We all love a cup of tea. You, you need you need a good see. I'm a sales pitch now. You yeah. all need a good mug for your cup of tea, right? Well, our, our mugs are pretty good for having a brew out of. Trust me, absolutely the best tasting tea out of our mugs. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yes. we'll see you for another episode soon. Goodbye. We shall see you later.